Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show, where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time on the virtual voyage, we were arriving in Shechem, an old city in the region of Samaria here in Israel. We're just walking down the stairs of this beautiful Eastern Orthodox Church to reach Jacob's Well, which is where Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman about the water he offers, which will never leave anyone thirsty. Living water. Well, let's recap what we learned last time. We've been learning a lot about context, specifically how the Jews and Samaritans did not get along. We learned how Jesus broke cultural boundaries when he chose to get to Galilee in the north of Israel by not going along the Jordan River or along the Mediterranean Sea on opposite ends of Israel. Instead, he went from Judea in the south right through Samaria in the middle to get to Galilee in the north. That would have shocked people. Jews just didn't do that. The Jews and Samaritans are different in some fundamental ways. And you'll actually get to see this when we go to Mount Gerizim and get to meet some of the current religious Samaritans keeping their religion alive right there on Mount Gerizim. The differences are subtle but they are enough to cause quite a rift between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, Jesus actually alludes to this when he talks to the woman at the well. The woman at the well tells Jesus that our ancestors worshipped at this place, Mount Gerizim, this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So right there we see that a fundamental difference is that the Samaritans see Mount Gerizim so it's a mountain in proximity to us. It's, it's in this area of Samaria, and we'll head there soon. But the Samaritans see that mountain as the center of their religion, while the Jews see Jerusalem and the Temple Mount as the center. So Jesus responds to her. He says, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We the Jews worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So in that, Jesus does correct her. He tells her the Samaritans worship what they do not know. But salvation stems from the Jews because Jesus was a Jew, and so the Jews worship what they know. He also says that the worship of God ultimately is going to take place not in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerizim. So, so those differences, those physical differences, aren't going to matter. He prophetically alludes to the day when the earth is no more and believers will all be in one place. And so philosophical differences will be a thing of the past. But it's interesting that this difference comes up between Jesus and the woman. Although Jesus corrects her, not by harshly condemning her, but by gently instructing her in the truth. And that's certainly another lesson that we can learn from Jesus as we're living in this divisive time of the 21st century. Ultimately, Jesus going through the region of Samaria to get to Galilee in the north of Israel 
really shows his perfect nature, as, I, as I've said before. He didn't come to earth to pick and choose who he would save. His saving work on the cross was not just for the Jews, or just for the Samaritans, or just for any select group of people. It was for everyone. And so when Jesus chooses to walk through Samaria, it's a physical act that emphasizes his perfect nature and perfect plan, which is to die so that all might have the opportunity to have peace with God. We've been talking mainly about Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman. But did you know there's actually another story in the New Testament that talks about a Jew and a Samaritan and how they interacted. It's, it's another classic uh, Sunday school story, you could say. And most people miss the context and why this parable Jesus tells would have been shocking. So the parable I'm talking about is the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure most, if not all of you, have heard of it. It's said that an expert in the law tries to test Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds and says that, he must obey what is written in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then also love your neighbor as yourself. And the Bible says this man wanted to justify himself. So he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? <laughs> I really feel for this man. He probably knows the definition of neighbor, anyone that you're around. Uh, whether you love them or whether you really dislike them. I I've been there. I don't always want to show love to people, and especially the people that I don't like. Let's be honest, virtual voyagers, we all have those people in our lives, and it's hard enough to just love them. But the commandment isn't just to love them. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's, <laughs> that's too hard. But Jesus emphasizes what he means with a parable. He does mean love your neighbor as yourself. And so let's actually take a moment as we're here in this area to read the parable from Luke 10. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So after sharing that parable, Jesus turns to this man who had questioned him, this expert in the law, and Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the man says that the neighbor is the one who had mercy on him, the Samaritan. 
and Jesus's command is to go and do likewise. So I hope you see it now after we've spent a few episodes talking about the relationship between Jews and Samaritans here on the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. So in this parable, there's this man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Interesting side note, we've actually taken that route, although we got to drive it, which is much nicer, but leaving our hostel in Jerusalem and going to Jericho a few tours ago, we actually would have taken uh, that same route. The footpath that was used back in ancient times was turned into a road later. Anyways, this man traveling, we're assuming he is a Jew. And when Jesus mentions the priest and the Levite walking right by this man and, and leaving him ultimately, what is Jesus saying? He's saying that this poor Jew's own people are walking right by him. His own brethren are, are just leaving him. But who comes along and helps this Jew? None other than a Samaritan. This parable would have shocked the expert in the law Jesus is talking to because he knew very well that if there were ever any interaction between Jews and Samaritans, it was nothing good. It would usually be fighting or violence or, or something along those lines. But this Samaritan loved his neighbor as himself, hence why Jesus told this parable as part of the command. You know, the Samaritan didn't see a Jew on the road. He saw a man who needed help because the man at that moment was his neighbor. And I think that's such a great parable and it means so much more when we see what Jesus is saying. He is implicitly putting in kind of some, some like a, a little bit of a subtext and saying, yes, even those people that you absolutely hate, like the Samaritans, you need to love them as yourself too. And of course, that subtext, you could say, is it's kind of lost in translation because the translation doesn't include ancient context. Jesus wouldn't have needed to be super obvious and say, like, see, this is a Samaritan. You Jews really don't like him. But look how this Samaritan um, loved a Jew as himself and cared for him. So you should be like that. No, Jesus didn't do that because it was just part of the culture. They knew the context. But when we're reading this story thousands of years later, I mean, it seems nice that a Samaritan would stop and help this poor man on the road but we have no idea what it really meant to Jesus's audience. We have no idea the significance of why Jesus picked a Jew to be on the road lying there needing help and then a Samaritan coming along and helping him. But now we do. So hopefully you'll see the parable of the Good Samaritan in a different way and you'll understand the context and be able to picture all of this in your mind. Well, we've made it down the stairs and are standing here in front of Jacob's well. So let's head on inside and take a closer look at this cool site. Everyone, say hello to our kind friend, Mr. Amir, who's letting us see this site. Thank you, Amir. So, so this is Jacob's well, where it's believed to be. It's said that Jacob pitched camp on one of his journeys here in Shechem. Jacob was all over Israel. And so he also bought a plot of land here. And so we would have had to have, have dug a well 
to have water. You know, he had a lot of livestock. They needed water. He had children, and obviously he needed water. So there was a need of water. So anyways, he, he digs this well. That well still stands. It's actually tradition passed down that this right here is the location where Jacob dug his well, and now you're standing in front of it. You can look down that, that hole, just stay back a little bit. There's, there's some stones around it, so you're not going to fall in, hopefully. It's, it's a little bit of a boundary, but, but stay back. But you can kind of see down that hole and see water at the bottom. Please do stay somewhat back, though. I know we want to see the water, but if you fall in, I don't know what we do. Just imagine the sight as we're thinking about this well and what took place here, being Jesus and the, and the story of the Samaritan woman talking to him. So Jesus comes to this well because it's the heat of the day. And he's been traveling and he just wants to sit down and rest from his journey. And this woman comes to the well. Again, let me emphasize, she and Jesus were right here, right here in this very place. And that's what the story is about. So Jesus asks the woman for a drink. She was standing right here where maybe one of you are. And she obviously is aware of the cultural differences because she says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then the Bible also notes in parentheses, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But you know, Jesus disregards the cultural difference. He came to earth not to emphasize the differences between people, but to break down the barriers and put us all on the same playing field as God's children, but ultimately God's disobedient children needing forgiveness and salvation. So that leads to his conversation where he tells her of the gift of living water. But you know, she misses the point and, and she asks where he's going to get the living water. She says, sir, uh, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? But Jesus responds, uh, I guess you could put it somewhat cryptically, that living water, once one has taken a sip, once one has drank it, it becomes a spring inside of them and they'll never thirst again. So the, uh, the dichotomy between the physical and the spiritual is really emphasized in this interaction at the well because the woman has no idea that Jesus is speaking of the gift of eternal life, of salvation. You know, she just thinks in merely human terms. And so she tells him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't have to be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. At this point... Jesus is able to pinpoint how many husbands she's had, and she realizes that he has to be a prophet. There's no way he would have been able to know that she had five husbands and now lives with a man who isn't her husband if he weren't a prophet. Well, right here where we are standing, this conversation continues. It's kind of winding in some odd directions. You know, water, uh, cryptic living water, the physical and the spiritual, and, and now onto her five husbands. But then as the conversation continues, the woman speaks of the Messiah who is coming and will explain everything. Maybe she believes that the Messiah will come and finally uh, tell the Jews, finally instruct them that Mount Gerizim is actually where they need to be worshiping and the Samaritans are right all along. I mean, who knows? But 
Jesus reveals himself to her, which is something the Bible details as not happening often. He says that I, the one speaking to you, I am he, the Messiah. And the Bible says that the woman leaves her water jug and runs to her town. She obviously knows something is up with Jesus because he's been able to kind of act prophetically. He's speaking a little strangely. And so she just runs. She's so excited to tell her people that she's met a man whom she believes could be the Messiah. So this woman runs from this site where we're at right now. And who knows, she probably runs over into town. We'll be over there in a few minutes. Well, when she tells the Samaritans, they actually believe her. And they believe in Jesus because of what she told them. It even says that the Samaritans went to Jesus and asked him. Now, remember, they're asking a Jew to stay with them. And because of his words, many more became believers. So these Samaritans proclaim a Jewish man to be the savior of the world because he was and still is and forever will be. The Samaritans recognize this and Jesus's work on the cross is finished and it never needs to be accomplished again. So to tie this back in to this, this well and this story that we've been talking about as we're standing in front of the well, his gift of living water is freely offered to anyone. And while the well we're looking at right now will eventually dry up, although, I mean, looking down at it now, it's still going strong and it's had water in it for thousands of years, but, you know, eventually it's going to dry up. There's not going to be enough water in it. But the promise of living water never will dry up. So I hope that you, virtual voyagers, have drank this living water. Well, I am parched and need to get some physical water right now. Oh, come here. Amir has used the bucket to get some water up from the well. Oh, this will be nice. Enjoy some water from the well that Jacob dug and the well that Jesus asked to drink from. Jacob's well. Well, that's it for our stop at Jacob's well. You've seen a site that scores quite high on the authenticity meter. I personally believe that this is actually the well Jesus was at. Its location has been passed down uh, generation by, by generation, right? And so now Amir and his family currently guard it. And it's pretty cool to think that Jesus was right here along with the Samaritan woman and along with his disciples. So many people, so many great people of the faith. Obviously, Jesus, the man who came to save all of humanity right here thousands of years ago. Oh, before you leave, Amir has prepared a little gift for you. This is so kind. He has these little jugs that have stamped on them. Jacob's well. So he's, he actually wants all of you to, to have one. And inside is, is water from Jacob's well. So that is an awesome souvenir that you can have and take back home with you. Next up on our tour of Samaria, here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM, we're going to make our way over to the tell of Old Shechem. So let's walk on up the stairs and out onto the street to find our bus. We'll actually talk as we go, why not? So Shechem was originally a Canaanite city. 
But later, it became the capital of the kingdom of Israel, following the split of Israel from Judah, right? So Israel was united under David and Solomon. Ultimately, there was sin that split the kingdom of Israel. So now Israel is split. But Shechem is the capital of Israel. Now, Shechem also is the location of Joseph's tomb. You'll remember that Joseph, right? Joseph from the coat of many colors. Joseph, the one who got sent to Egypt by his brothers. So he ends up living in Egypt and he saves really his his brothers from the famine. But when he dies, he doesn't want his bones to be left in Egypt, but wants them to be brought back to Israel because he knows that the Jews will return. Although I'm I'm guessing he didn't think it would be um, as long as it was. Still, he wanted them brought back to Israel, and so his traditional tomb is actually in Shechem. Now, Shechem was also a city of refuge, which means that it provided asylum for people who had committed unintentional manslaughter. We'll talk more about cities of refuge next time and some other examples, and specifically the purpose that they served. Unfortunately, we're out of time So let's just continue our walk, and we'll pick up right here next time in Samaria, in Shechem, next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we continue our adventure in Shechem.